Welcome to the Community Builder Podcast. The world is our classroom, and every moment is an opportunity to understand human connection at a newer level. On this podcast, we'll explore the minds of active community builders as they strive to leave their imprint on the world. Travis King. Let's build. Before we get started, we would like to thank our sponsor, Cruise Control Music, the ultimate audio branding experience. Cruise Control Music creates custom, authentic sounds and music to showcase your brand identity and is a direct reflection of your vision, goals, and values. If you're looking to start or level up your podcast experience, log on to cruisecontrolmusic.com. You know, what excited you about hopping on the podcast today? Yeah. I mean, I can give my, my long narrative background if, if that's I mean, what about the SparkNotes version? The SparkNotes version? Yeah. I'll, give, I'll give you the, the SparkNotes version. Okay. But it starts far back, I think, about why I care about this stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm the, I'm the son of two Vietnam War refugees. My parents landed here in 1975 separately. And when they came here and while I was growing up, I think I watched them struggle to find community. And they're crazy supportive people that like came out from, they were sponsored by the, you know, the Barbie and the Castle families, these white Christian families in the middle of Texas who really serve as sort of adoptive family. But throughout, you know, the whole time I was growing up, it felt like my parents were sort of out of their water. And I feel like that really influenced me from a young age because I just always sort of felt I needed the opposite. Like I needed to find my people or I needed to be plugged in, connected in, cared about by some like central group of people. Fast forward, uh, you know, the education comes in. I got to uh, study mechanical engineering on the side. I was producing a lot of events and then also like sneaking to take classes at the business school. So that's where my background is. It's like engineering plus business stuff, plus, you know, caring a lot about just putting people in the same room. And then when I graduated, there was Sort of my formative experience was um, this woman, Tina, had started this organization called Creative Mornings, which is an event series that was started in New York. It's a free creative lecture. And she was looking for a kind of systems-minded, strategic person who really liked live events to help her expand the thing. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. (laughs) And, you know, I I met her and uh, a week later, I'd never been to New York. I moved out here and we just, we worked together for uh, three and a half, four years And, you know, I got to put all these pieces in place that help this community that started in a few cities to be in over a hundred cities and figure out, you know, what are all the little pieces that they need to succeed? You know, what are the resources and the tools and the structure? And is there a license agreement? What are the expectations? And I started to, you know, believe to my, believe that communities don't necessarily coalesce magically, that with intention, you know, you can create right? Structures that make people feel comfortable and make people feel creative, that make people feel connected to one another. And I started to kind of see every organization as like having the possibility to, whether they serve customers or donors or members, that they could think about those folks as a community if they, you know, with the right intention, like you could take it to that next level to really have a thriving base of people who genuinely, you know, feel like they have a shared purpose there and feel extremely committed 
And I met some other people that felt the same way. You know, one of my business partners, Bailey, was an early employee at Instagram and she selected X thousand of the first suggested users and did so much of that work and had this kind of formative online community building experience. Uh, the other guy, Kai, uh, was early on the growth team at Facebook and also did some work with the power sellers at eBay. And we kind of came together to form more of a collective than a consulting agency, though we, you know, our business is consulting work, but a collective that was thinking, let's, we really want to explore what it means to help organizations cultivate communities and develop our own system and language for, you know, how we think about this stuff. We, we, we love this world. And if we can feel even more confident in our tools and language and how we can help more communities, more healthy, tolerant, thriving, collaborative communities exist. Like that sounds extremely exciting. So people and company is three people. Uh, we're, that's the company. And um, we've worked with some very big companies as well as, you know, startup nonprofits on different projects related to, you know, what is your strategy for cultivating a community? So sometimes we're working on like a volunteer engagement project for an education nonprofit. Sometimes we're working on, you know, one of the largest platforms of caregivers. So I'm trying to f- create the like the super nanny program. Ooh, um, super nannies. And, you know, through all of that, we, you know, what we're working on now is kind of after two years of these experiences, which is truly the best part of the work. I think the excuse to create an agency was in some ways to like be allowed to helicopter into these, ex- you know, passionate groups of people. Like I get to go to that summit Right, I get to spend time with some of the most passionate, like K through twelve educators, and listen to this like principle, like rile up the crowd. And right. then on another weekend, we're like talking to surfers <laughs> and going deep into that world to figure out, you know, is there a desire to become sort of ambassador for this company? And uh, now we're writing a book. Uh, there's the current working title is "Pass the Torch." We're writing a book to try to break down what it takes to cultivate a community and write it in a way that's more of a cookbook than a business book. Try to make it so it can appeal and be useful to communities big and small, whether you're thinking about starting a run club or uh, you're you know, thinking about your global activist network. Uh, we think a lot of those elements are the same and a lot of the decisions you have to make are, are similar. That's exciting. Thanks. It That's, is exciting. I'm jazz. I'm I'm so happy with like I'm so grateful just to be here right now. Like even with what we've written, for instance, if it was just sent out to my mom and friends, which it kind of already has, like that's uh I, I'm just I'm so happy with it, it. Collaborative writing was a beast and picking apart all of I don't know, picking apart each other, picking apart our words. I, I feel like it's it's not just writing a book to write a book. It was writing a book to sometimes some ways figure out what we were trying to say. Um, and now that we've accomplished that, everything else to me is gravy. Every other person, you included, to like read it and find some some smidge of value in it is gravy to me. Man, that's, it sounds like you're a kid at play all day. <laughs> it's, uh, and no, it's very exciting to hear. And I love when you were talking about how the collaborative writing experiences kind of brought something different out in each of you. Yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit about what you've seen so far? Right, like so starting people and company, you guys bring these different, you know, very diverse backgrounds into the same room. Like when else in the history or working with um, your team of people and company, have you guys had to come together and like transform? Hmm. Because like right now, it sounds like you guys are in this interesting stage where you're literally going out to the wild, bringing back, you know, artifacts, bringing back lessons, knowledge, learning, stories. And now it's time to like share that with the world. 
Like, has mm-hmm. there ever been another time where you've had to go through a, such a large transformation? Like a transformation as a group or like yes. each of us? You know, I, I feel like it's neat and tidy to tell the story of like us and how we come together and our roles. But it's not that neat when it's like happening. It's more like, hey, I, I kind of like you. I think I know what you're about. Like, what are, what are you capable of again? <laughs> and you're like, you're landing your project, right? And you're like, you you know how to like work with SQL, right? We have data. Or it's like, you you understand how to, you know, map out the journey. And it's not, I can't think of a clear, clear moment. Maybe it's like our first big, you know, presentation in a boardroom or uh, maybe it's just that first project, like figuring out our process. But, I, you know, there's... We, we, it felt like we had an idea of maybe what roles we would fit in. And, um, there's this, uh, so Marshall Gans, he's a Harvard Candy professor. We quote him in the book. Um, he organized, uh, farm workers with Cesar Chavez. He would say like community organizing. Um, they brought three things to the table, story, strategy, and structure. Mm. And I feel like our team has like conveniently like pushed each other into one of those as like the trifecta and I'll, and we've kind of happily done it. Bailey very much the storytelling side, like you have to get people to show up. You have to get people to care. And the best way to do that is to, you know, to show, to, to tell them a story. And then you need the strategy around like, what are you trying to accomplish in the world together? Like, why does this community exist? Why do they come together? And it could be really simple, but a strategy for like what you're trying to affect, because there are a billion different things you could do. And then you need structure that kind of helps guide people on doing that work together or doing whatever they do together over time. And I love structure. I I love I live pretty freestyle, but from like a I love helping people think through productive structure. And I think it's often done in a way that's like not as empathetic or human centered or you know valuing people not as just consumers but as contributors um, as it could be done. Yeah, I think a lot of times too, especially in today's world, we forget that all of our, like even like specifically in the B2B space, that all of our customers, clients, potential customers, partners, they're all humans. Like yeah. They're all people. They're not like, I'm not selling to the marketing director at Salesforce. Like I'm selling to the person who is that marketing director. So it's, I think it's it's something that's often forgotten. And I guess I kind of going off the side a little bit, but we'll come back. No, we can go far off the side. <laughs> Transactional versus non-transactional. Yeah. So like building communities that are non-transactional, it often seems that it should be easier because mm-hmm. there's, you know, then there's, there's no sense of profits or revenue that needs to be generated from these, you know, relationships that are being built. But then on the other end, in the B2B world, I feel like there also is this point of view where every relationship means a dollar sign. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that can be dangerous territory. Yeah. So I guess, could you talk a little bit about some experiences either being on the nonprofit side where it's like, like it's fluffy in a way mm-hmm. um, and it's not as transactional. And then also if you even have a B2B experience where like, okay, well, I had to deal with this company that didn't quite understand, you know, what community really was. It's yeah. not dollar signs. Yeah. You know, so I do some work with a, um, I'm on the board of an education nonprofit that hosts, it's called EdCamp and the EdCamp Foundation they help teachers host events where teachers teach other teachers all around the world. Ooh. Yeah, so professional development often done in schools. Apparently, uh, you know, teachers dislike it. They think it's really boring. It could be just a district-mandated PowerPoint being spewed at you. And then these teachers got together on a Saturday, and they're like, you know, we're hosting an event where you just come here, you tell each other what you want to learn or what you want to teach, and you 
it's an unconference. You create your own sessions and four hours later, you've like helped coach each other, teach each other. And it's, it's that learning plus uh, sort of an emotional support, uh, which I think is something that is also missing from professional development. But, but I mentioned it because these are fully free. Sometimes a sponsor will help cover pizza for the day, but they're extremely lean events. And, you know, I, I, I think we've had discussions about how it would be more complicated if there was money there. And then on the opposite end, like if there's money in the ecosystem, who gets, a, you know, who gets a slice of what? And, and even, you know, nonprofits have to figure that out from a donation perspective. If I donate to a chapter, does the headquarters get a cut of that? Because they are, you know, handling the operation. What's the split? 70, 30, 50, 50, zero, 100. And then, you know, building off of that, you know, we might work with a company that wants to start a power user program. And they think people love our product. They want to rep us. And that conversation comes up like should... You know, should they get a part of the profits? And, uh, you know, what are we trying to do together? And the two thoughts come to mind. One is that I think for the companies, one of the things we do at People and Company is get them really clear, try to get them not think about it as much as a value exchange. Like, what, what am I doing for these community members? And what are they doing for me? Which, honestly, I think is a mistake. I think we've, we've worked with some you know, thinking in that way. And I think you have to think more like, why are we teaming up? Like, what can we do together that neither of us could do alone? Like, are we trying to, are we getting together to change a law that everyone cares about? Because that right. could be something. Are we getting here to build this center? Because that's something that neither of us could do, you know, without each other. Are we trying to like make this YouTube did life in a day, right? Are we trying to make a huge film together that we could not, that YouTube headquarters cannot do without their, the, the other part of this, I think, is, and I was talking to my friend Gary, who runs um, the space I'm in, Orbital, and Gary was just like, uh, he read the book, he's like, I think one of the things that's missing you really need to talk about is sustainability, uh, because, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, you're right, it's sort of the elephant in the room, because almost every grassroots community I work with, there's a problem related to money. They don't have enough money, or they don't have enough money to buy them time in order to do the thing, and to ignore that is like, Sort of saying, you can do all this stuff, build it up. Don't worry about that other thing. And then, you know, maybe you'll burn out and you won't be able to do it anymore. So, you know, I don't, I, I don't believe that money poisons the like ability to have an authentic community because it's, I don't know, it's a critical resource that right. should be talked about. But I do think it's important to, uh, you just have to be, you have to get those like incentives aligned as much as possible because it is like a touchy subject which is a mushy answer for like, you got to get into it, but don't ignore it. Yeah. I feel like, especially with dealing with sustainability, it's it's like, how do you keep the organism alive mm-hmm. when it's not alive for a profit? Like it's not a business. It's a yeah. community. Yeah. <laughs> Completely different definitions. Yeah. Um, and maybe questioning if it needs to like be more than it is. I think like I've worked with, you know, even with EdCamp, I have discussions with them that what they do is amazing. And these community, like I was just at EdCamp Newark. EdCamp Newark was on fire. Like it's a room full of 200 teachers at the end of the day, just like saying that they just, you know, they feel so motivated and even so it's, it's such a tough time. And like, they're kind of doing, they're fine. Right. And do you need to add another layer of like, all right, let's, uh, maybe you should get, a larger sponsor to be able to do this. And I understand we we want to maybe grow and evolve, but um, I think sometimes you have to question that and just be like, is it is it cool how it is? 
Like it doesn't need to be more complicated than this. And understand that, you know, maybe this is to serve like, a, and it's some source of uncertainty and pain right now. And hopefully in three years, this pain will no longer exist. And our community can like just fall away and continue doing our things in other places because this is a moment where we need it. And we don't have to like complicate it and believe this needs to be a hundred year organization or something like that. Yeah, I think that's important too to, to realize that like, yes, we all wish everything was timeless and would never yeah. end. But at the same time, communities as well as people go through stages in life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I guess, could you talk a little bit about like the community stages that you might have like touched on a little bit? Yeah. Um, like through your experience, like even in the book, like I know that's a very important thing when you start to think mechanically and structurally with how a community is built. And a lot of times, like it literally is just putting it on a whiteboard and like, what stage are we in? Yeah. And being aware of like where they are to know what they have to do next and also where they need support. Yeah. Um, I think that's huge. I think that's very... It's often missed. Yeah, yeah. So so the people and company framework for how communities evolve is based on this like fire analogy. That are you trying to like spark the flame? Are you trying to do your first thing? Are you trying to like stoke the fire? So you're trying to, you know, cultivate a sense of identity, deepen the bonds, like do that stuff you're gonna do repeatedly. And then are you trying to pass the torch? Are you trying to like help this spread to new places and develop leaders? And I think the the first point is that you actually, you don't have to go, you don't need to be a, a past the torch level community. Like it's, it's, I think it's, a, I think there are some organizations that could look at it and be like, you know what, I'm fine actually just doing my thing and maybe not uh, growing to like a huge size. Like this can come in very different, you know, your community can look very different to one another. But at each stage, I, I think, there are different types of support you really need to have in place. And just one example is um, by getting people talking and having uh, the infrastructure so people can connect with one another is something that's really important early on. Because how do you expect to like equip leaders with the ability to like start something elsewhere, you know, really pass the torch if they can't communicate with the rest of the community? Like if you don't put that infrastructure in place and 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 create those norms that make people feel like they can reach out to each other how do you expect them to you know uh, or self organize later on so uh, looking at each of those and thinking you know am i just trying to like create something special right now and get a feeling for like does this this community i believe needs to exist does mm -hmm. it you know does it catch fire or am i at a stage where you know what things are going pretty well i just need to like you know fan the flames yeah, and I actually talked to another guest, Cecil Phillip from Microsoft, about this. And one of the things that he talked about was um, understanding, like, where you are, like, on your journey. Like, really thinking deeply about, like, okay, like, how am I supposed to talk to other people about this amazing thing? And one thing that he did was, like, you just kind of, like, you stumble across it. Like, on one end, right, like, people come together and realize that they're doing something. Then there's also, like, the times where you're like, oh, wait. I know Kevin likes podcasting. He also likes a skateboard. Like we should podcast and skateboard. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, then, you know, our friend um, Bailey comes in and she goes, you know what? I like storytelling. Yeah. Oh, we're going to make a story about podcasting and skateboard. Yeah. And then it evolves into something else and then it becomes whatever. Um, but like to, to, to back to like the original point is it's like no matter how you guys come together, how you form, it's just understanding like you're there for that that collective thoughts, the the belonging, the relationships, and like it, it's it's kind of interesting how like you can start a spark by accident. Yeah, it's like literally starting a fire by yeah. accident. And so then I feel like 
especially the middle part about, you know, stoking the fire, right? Like making sure it stays alive. I feel like that's one, I don't know, like what, what do you think out of the three or like the, some of the most challenging parts of a community? Do you think it's mm. a spark? Do you think it's a stoke? Or do you think it's passing the torch? Who are you thinking hard? Yeah, I, I, I want to I be thoughtful with this answer. I think it is stoke because I believe it's stoke. And I think this is something we haven't done a good job of in the book that we are working on now. Because you read an early draft. Who knows? Maybe it'll be called something else later. I'll use a totally different analogy. It will be like planting trees. And watering them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then see, I this give a, them sunlight. I'm stealing this analogy from someone else, but then it's like, then they bear fruit and those fall down and they like start communities elsewhere. <laughs> it's like, or we're a coral reef. That was another discussion I had. Ooh, whatever's I, trending on Instagram will probably work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, one of the things we don't cover is um, some of the really hard stuff, like conflicts. Ooh, the radical transparency in the, in the community, and when you, you know, you know, when you screw up as an organizer and do something that like some people really hate, or you know, your ego takes over, you make a mistake. We didn't. I don't think we. I feel like we talked. We talk a lot about these success stories or shining examples mm-hmm. of like how to attract new members. Right. We don't talk about like you know the person that tried something and necessarily failed at it, or like you know there are some case studies in the book where. You know, I realize now that person has uh, since like uh, stopped running their organization. They had to shut it down for sustainability reasons, or they felt like you know the world has changed. We didn't talk about like how hard it was to make that decision. So I think with Stoke, it's sort of like when you're starting out, it's pretty free form, and you you know sometimes you start something by accident. It's just exciting once you like get people together and you're you're driving, and then you start trying to. Do some things with intention. Like, I'm going to tell some stories. Well, who are you going to pick? Are you going to like slight some people for not picking them? It's like, I'm going to, well, I'm going to try to pick, tell stories about folks that really like, you know, embody our purpose. Well, like this person has been here for like five years longer and you're not telling a story about them. And so I think in there you start, you know, I don't have kids, but my parents said they like made a lot of their mistakes with their, with my brother, the firstborn. And I feel like with some of those like early community members with, some of those early people that, you know, raise their hand to do more, you make mistakes in that stoke phase when you're like, you know, trying to connect them and cultivate a sense of identity. And yeah, I, I do, I hesitated because I I do think that a lot of people miss what we talk about in Pass the Torch, which maybe the name Pass the Torch is misleading because it's not like, I'm done here, peace. But it's really about developing leadership and yeah, developing leadership within the community. And I think that's one level where you can make always needs to be more tiers. Maybe it's like a fractal, but even if like Airbnb creates their super host community, there will be super hosts that like want to do even more than the other super hosts. And when you don't like sort of provide a place to, oh man, I'm showing you tiers one, two, three, four. It's like you have, your, sorry, didn't yeah. mean to cut you off, but go, you have like go, your go. circle, or secondary circle, tertiary circle, and then like the people who are just like, Floating around. Yeah. Thought the visual might help, especially because like when you're in that, like one one thing too about the the stoke and like mistakes phase. When I interviewed Priya, I asked her, um, yeah. what was a time like we hear all about your successes and all of the great, you know, dinners that you've hosted, all the transformative gatherings that you um led. But I asked her to tell me a time about when she made a mistake. And one thing I think that falls, you know, on everyone in society is that a lot of things are pretty structured. Mm. Your Instagram account is the same as my Instagram yeah. account. The only thing that's different is the pictures. Yeah. My Facebook, same framework, yeah. different pictures. Yeah. 
And so, clear box for you. Exactly. So one of the interesting things is, is how we can remind ourselves to not take a framework or a strategy that worked in one community and applying it to all. Yeah. Because it's not going to work. Yeah. And I feel like that's one, one thing that people definitely forget a lot, especially when you talked about like the current state of the structure of the community. Like, is it fragile? Is it new? But like, maybe you did this talk and it worked in Florida, but now you come to New York City and the students at this college are completely different. Yeah. So it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, so that, that was just one other example I thought you, you might find helpful. Yeah. In, um, the Stoke version. What, what do you think is the hardest part between like Spark, Stoke, Pass the Torch? I have to agree and say Stoke. Why? Because, well, funny story. I read uh, Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Chef mm. and got in a little funny match with my dad about whose fire would last longer during the uh, Christmas holidays. Who's, so, who's what last longer? Fire. Fire. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I was like, Dad, like, you got to start with the small little sticks, then put the paper on top and then lay them, you know, perpendicular to each other and then put the big logs and then more paper and then more um, little fire sticks. And then the fire burns from the top down and you're left with no ashes. He's like, that won't work. That won't work. Let me show you how to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm from the South. Like I know how to build fires and it's going to last way longer than yours. And I'm like, dad, like you have to keep poking it. Like you literally have to keep poking it and bring another piece of wood every 10 minutes. Yeah. I was like, but when I do it, it literally lasts all night and we only have to do it once. Like yeah. It's extremely efficient. I built a structure, or I've, excuse me, I've learned from someone who's built a structure that allows the fire to keep going and to not have the ashes, you know, all over the place and just like burn out when it's done and it's its time. For me, understanding that like if something as simple as the way you lay paper and sticks to keep mm -hmm. a fire from lasting or burning out, like you can apply that same thing to a community in my, at least in my mm -hmm. you know, world. Like you can literally say, okay, well, if this community is, you know, 500 strong with 10 chapters with 50 people, what types of things are all of these people going to need, right? Like, yeah. I guess similar to um, what you did at Creative Mornings, mm -hmm. you built uh, like a playbook for yeah, yeah. different communities. Yep. I guess throwing it back over to you. Yeah. Um, like, what were some of the things that you've, you know, you found that worked when you had to keep chapters, you know, burning and yeah. um, keep energizing and empowering them to keep continuing on. Yeah, I laugh because I, I think about like the first resources and forms of support I gave chapters and then like Ooh. what I did a year or two later, right? And and some of it's just the delivery. I remember, <laughs> very detailed, but I remember like we made a decision about uh, the branding. I mean, this is an early story, but like uh, Creative Morning Chapters is a decision to, all right, we should give everyone a color. It will be like, They'll, they'll each have their own two to three letter city and they can also have their color, but then they'll have like an icon or logo that looks has a similar shape. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's this sort of unity, but also differentiation. Wonderful. Uh, and then I was like, okay, and then I'll, maybe I'll just, I'll just send all of them their assets via email. But then we had to update them. I had to send them a new one. That's like, all right, I'll create like Dropbox folders for like each city. But then I don't want to share the same Dropbox folder for like, into every city because one person deletes the assets and they go everywhere. So I'll create like separate Dropbox folders, but then to keep them updated on my end, I guess I'll write like a Mac sort of like script or whatever that I'll copy into one and it'll paste all into the other. And then later on, I was, it was sort of like, why don't you just have like a single like web page where people can go and download their assets? And then years later, I see someone that just like creates a Google Doc. And <laughs> I was like, Oh, uh, man, <laughs> I could have really. <laughs> I've been waiting to laugh, sorry. Oh, okay. 
you know, you go through all these things. Um, that was only stage one. That's <laughs> that was stage one. Like that's funny. I, I I did the same exact thing when I when starting a podcast. Yeah. So totally feel you. I, that's why I was like, oh my god, this is too funny. Yeah. All all these little lessons. But uh, I think my approach was I don't know what I love about the what I love about this is yeah people are different the needs are different and whether or not even if you're part of the same like uh, part of creative mornings and you have a different chapter it's gonna be really jet, different chapter if you run Ed Camp Kansas City what you need is very different from a different one but then you start to see patterns so. My approach was like, uh, let's talk to, let's talk to like any organizers we have right now about what's the hardest part of get, about getting started, um, and then let's maybe we can create a couple of resources, whether it's like a marketing deck or right. you know is it their branding or something else, and then you also I think naturally the flip side of this is that these are people and, and they're if you do a good job of sort of vetting these people they're like creative and resourceful and they're gonna make their own resources. So you, one thing you kind of do, you do your own stuff and you try to put it out there and you got to pay a lot of attention to what other people are doing. And then once you see that like Barcelona creates this, you're like, that's really smart. That checklist is super smart. I should be, they one, maybe they on their own should be sharing it with the other people that, you know, that are organizing right now. Or I should like take that. Maybe we can codify it. And with a couple of tweaks, we can make it more flexible. So anyone else, you know, can use it. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, I'll translate that into Japanese, right? And so... I think it's sort of two lessons there. One is uh, paying attention to like what other people are already doing and then figuring out how do I like systematize this? How do I make it scale? And then two, yeah, leaving enough open space so people can like remix it. Because I, I think if you get into, there's this spectrum of like control you can make. And no, I read through the TEDx guidelines once and I haven't organized a TEDx, but it seemed like pretty stringent. We can do it. Okay. <laughs> you know, there was, there was something about like, this is your Illustrator file to create your logo. And I get branding, but I, I think you can create things in a way where it's like, well, they always have to come back to the organizer to get the most updated version. Or if you build sort of the resources flexible enough, then people can remix it on their own and on their own and share it with others. And hopefully that organism as a whole can like support each other. And I think that's a more healthy, thriving community when that's happening. Yeah. And I think there's, and when you say support each other, it's it's interesting too, because one of the things that you were talking about earlier about how some of these like more, you know, nonprofit organizations, when they deal with financing, I think of like almost this, I don't know if this is one of those like future visions for community. Well, kind of it is actually. It's like now we're in this like ecosystem where there's all these corporations now, like so many startups, so much activity, so many bright ideas, so many bright minds, all in the same building. And hint, we work. <laughs> but at the same time, like they all like they don't some a lot of people I feel like don't realize the the need to actually connect. Like a lot of people stay in their bubbles and don't ever feel like, oh, well, I can go adventure over here and, you know, try this story thing. And mm-hmm. like a lot of people never come out of their shells to even do that. And I feel like from someone coming from, you know, a B2B standpoint, like from a B2B point of view, that a lot of these businesses like have hidden gold in the ideas of their employees, because like at the end of the day, whether we want to admit it or not, they're the people that are creating everything that these companies are building. So why not help empower them? They have more space to work on projects that they love outside of what they're already skilled at doing for these companies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's that Delta, like that's, it gets to that hunch with maybe why people and company exist and broader like 
like why I care about this work is I, I just think we don't give people enough credit or freedom in general, or, you know, we don't, my hunch is that even if the MoMA looked at their like donor base or their most, you know, the, their, their members that visit as frequently as their most, the members that visit the most frequently, those members would probably be willing to, it would be excited to do more yeah. in collaboration with MoMA. But for whatever reason, um, and I don't know, I don't, I, this is a, you know, theoretical case study, but for right. whatever reason, and maybe it's just time constraint or whatever, they, they kind of aren't given the space to, or maybe mm-hmm. they aren't given the, uh, you know, the, 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 the home base is afraid to relinquish enough control to uh, allow them to. And I, and I hope that if I can budge anyone who's like trying to lead a group or organize a group to open themselves up to a bit more participation and a bit more mm-hmm. collaboration, a bit more, you know what, like, I'm afraid of this, but I'm going to like, mm, just kind of give you the tools and trust you to see what can happen. I think that leads to better solutions. Cause I think, you know, assuming the top is going to take care of you in many ways, we're talking about government elsewhere. It's like, mm-hmm. no. And then assuming that like a pure free market and people just like vote with their dollars, like maybe not as, maybe doesn't work as well either. And this is not, you know, totally my idea. This is also a Marshall Gans thought, same guy from Harvard. Oh, from earlier. Yeah, yeah. Got it. I mean, no, I think like that's, I think that's really like interesting to think about, especially when kind of now when you're at the stage of like re, you know, building the structure and thinking about like where you're taking, you know, the company next, I guess, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're now starting to intersect your engineering with your lessons and then trying to like create this new or not even create this new, but transform people and companies like what you want it to be in the future. Yeah. So, uh, you know, first warning is this is not fully articulated. I haven't, I haven't written this out yet. That's on my to-do. But Loading. What, Loading. What, so <laughs> they, we're going to figure it out now, live. Uh, <laughs> hope there's a miracle. So for me, I, I mentioned before this idea of like how I love, I love structure. And me in particular, I, I, I would love to take on more projects with people and company that are focused on you know, how might we make better processes and structures so a community can thrive? And like, I've been pulling my inspiration from, like, I was just listening through these lectures on uh, Lean Six Sigma, which is, you know, a process improvement framework. Lean thinking was, it's like Lean plus Six Sigma. I think Lean thinking was more taken from Toyota's manufacturing processes, but it's trying to look at like where, you know, where are the non-value, non-valuable activities and where are the more valuable activities. And I personally like love looking at, I guess I find one of the, one of the things that has been valuable when I work with uh, people I'm coaching or hang out with nonprofits or just kill time with anybody working in their communities and kind of asking them like, so how do you, how do you actually do the thing that you're talking about right now? Mm-hmm. We're talking high level strategy, like what you want this to be, but tell me like what's actually happening because um, I've wasted a lot of time in doing old processes before and then found out that like when you, you know, create better processes, it frees up some of that time that could be used to like think creatively. I think mm-hmm. some of that like empowerment gets capped because people are stuck doing work they don't need to um, or sort of doing activities they don't need to. So I'm I'm interested in essentially doing process improvement for grassroots distributed communities. Yeah. And how might they, yeah. How do you help them like function more efficiently and with efficiency pairing that with like, yeah. How do you 
it, it needs to be empathetic and it needs to like honor their creativity. Mm-hmm. And it isn't just like cold heart. I need you to like, you know, get that task done, host that event in like one hour less time. But mm-hmm. yeah, how do you really do it? And maybe even preserve some of the the hard activities that people ascribe a lot of meaning to. Because I think that can happen, you know, like we shouldn't make everything efficient if it is still like important to them. So that's, you know, broadly, you know, one type of more specific, we've, we've done a number of sort of strategy, research and strategy projects for nonprofits and companies sort of rethinking their, you know, the communities that they're uh, trying to help organize. And I have an eye towards more like, how do we improve their structures? Yeah, I think there's a lot of space that's like literally on like it's like the um it's like the race of the desert island. Yeah. Like there's a lot of space that's just not being occupied by a lot of, you know, people who could be building communities. So I think that that sounds like yeah. it's going to be a fun Yeah, you can, fun you can call me out too cuz this is something I'm exploring but I think it's sort of, you know, a lot of rigor is put towards people ops, right, at companies for their employees. So you know, can you apply a, a similar amount of rigor to, you know, the operations for these maybe non-traditional feeling organizations, right? Because more and more the, you know, they rely on groups that aren't, for instance, a company now has to rely on groups that isn't just their employees, but giant global network of community members. Right. So like, how do you, I mean, I don't know. What's your favorite sport? Mm, like to watch or to play? Play. Play? Mm, man, I, I played tennis in high school, but I haven't for a while. I, I dance. Right. Okay, so dancing. <laughs> so like you've done choreographed. Like, I have dance. done some choreograph. Choreography. So, right. So, or excuse me. My bad. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not great at. I've been taking house class more recently, which is like less choreographed, and that's why I like it. Oh, it's yeah. sort of like club training. It feels like it. Interesting. Because <laughs> house is a club dance. Oh, yeah. maybe I have to come to one of those. Yeah. But like in terms of episode two, <laughs> dancing while podcasting, <laughs> we should probably do that too. But one one thing I was thinking of, like in terms of when you're doing a choreographed dance with people, yeah. like if one person doesn't realize they have to do that move at that time, then like if the whole dance could be you know not as successful mm-hmm. or it could go wrong. I'm gonna kind of also think about I, the reason I brought up sports. I was literally gonna go to a football analogy. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's like. Putting structure in a community and saying, okay, it's at stage one. When it hits this mass, it's going to then do these three things to then level up into stage two, while also supporting the other 56 members who needed the episode to go out after the meetup was hosted or the event or the gathering ended. Mm-hmm. And they'll have it within, you know, 10 minutes of getting to dinner. Mm-hmm. Like all those little tiny things. And it's like, well, it's like imagine if you hand the ball off to the running back without telling him to play and he just does it every single time, yeah. no matter what down it is. But like that running back will always do his job. Mm-hmm. Like that's almost what you're putting into these communities yeah. and like you're thinking about putting into them. So is that on par? I was just trying to make sure I understood. Yeah, yeah. I think it's on par. Okay. I mean, I think one, if and if I'm being like devil's advocate at all, how, like where, where would you start? Like, would you start with thriving communities? Because I feel like, in order to get a baseline, you have to like look at it from, you know, obviously wearing multiple hats. Like where do you think you'd start to like at least look at that stuff? Because if I have a community and that's 500 people, I'm like, all right, Kev, let me see. Um, like, what do you think this like strategy for me is going to be? Like, we want to scale up and I want to open three new markets. Like, yeah, I know I'm throwing you a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, th- I think one thing is, 
this doesn't make sense as much for smaller communities that are starting up because you're probably not as much thinking about how do I make this process more efficient. You're probably like, what the hell is my pro- what the hell is my process? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which I get to work with some people on, and I love that. And I think there's just a kind of a personal career development secret is like. I kind of want to do some work that I haven't done. And, <laughs> and I, I, like, I am eager for a challenge of making, maybe, you know, uh, you know, a community where, you know, that, that home team, the organ, the organizing team is larger as dozens of people, hundreds of people, um, that services, you know, and, and I think, I think it actually is a bit more about like sort of that, that main organizing team versus the size of the community, because mm-hmm. they could, it's sort of that time that you could have 10,000 people that dedicate 10 minutes to this thing every week or a larger team helps out, you know, 500 people that spend days on this thing every right. single week. So I think, you know, first of all is who is my audience? My hunches, organizations um, that serve communities and the organizations are a little bit larger and they've been around for a bit. As far as where to look, I just, I guess I just have this image of a project that involves like auditing an existing process and making that process better. So I I would, and I think in order for it to make sense, you just have to go to where the pain is. So like, what is most important on your agenda? Like, is it you're trying to grow or you're trying to solicit donations, whatever that is, that is like so critical to you where you're like, yes, I totally see the value if we do this more efficiently or effectively and then that you have an existing process that you think could be better. Anyone out there? Does this does this resonate? If it doesn't, you can call me out. That's that's totally okay. But this is my crazy dream. It's to optimize your processes, community leaders. <laughs> I, I I believe it's valuable. Honestly, I feel like that it's a question that with people, I know that like leading a community can be lonely at times for those people that are like dealing with all these things that no one else in the community sees. Yeah. So I have a a feeling, like a gut feeling that like if we were to pose this question and actually put it in front of the right people, we getting some interesting and like thoughtful answers. From them, yeah. So. Yeah. That, that is my next step. I was, the to-do list is like, go write my short blog post or paragraph and like get that sent out to my tiny newsletter of, of people that listen to me and say like, hey, hey, here's the shape of something I want to work on. Does this make sense to you or to anyone else? Because, you know, I'd love to dig into this. Yeah. I mean, I'm totally down to dig into it with you. Like yeah. I'm... I'm just as I feel like I'm curious. I'm definitely excited to see, you know, what these thoughts, you know, develop, what they turn into. Um, also excited to figure out like how I can help, like any way that I guess anyone listening or um, anybody in the broader community, like what ways would you, you know, love support from the uh, like outside community? Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing is sometimes it's, it's not like I need to work with like the world's best organization to make them 5% better. It's just some leaders, managers, they're better at certain things than other things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like a very, you know, someone who's more story oriented, that's really like galvanized the community, maybe doesn't love thinking about process operations and project management. Mm-hmm. And I fucking love that stuff. Right. So, um, and I think, you know, I look back at roles I've had and places where I really felt in my water uh, and it includes at people and company that I am paired with someone who doesn't, you know, love the exact same things I do. I think that's also a part about what makes your, even though it's only three people, but what makes that community so strong is that everyone's aware of that. Everyone has different skills. And yeah. those, I feel like, are the most successful communities when everybody in the community is, quote unquote, community aware of knowing that, hey, like, if I need to cook or if I need to learn how to cook, like, I'm going to go learn from Kevin. 
Yeah. Um, or if I need to learn how to dance, I'm going to learn from Kevin. <laughs> or if I'm going to learn how to triple jump, I'm going to go learn yeah. from Travis. So like being aware of those things, I think is yeah. totally awesome. Yeah. And you have shared values. I, right. I once asked some guy who'd been married for 50 years and I was like, drop knowledge on me. Like, tell me, tell me what I need to know. He said, shared values over shared interests. Ooh, that's deep. That's deep. And it's I, only I two it. lines, but it's deep. <laughs> yeah. That's very deep. Love advice. Yeah, dude. This is, I mean, this conversation has been awesome. I'm trying to like, time, I don't know where we are, figure out kind of like what's next steps, like what, like where people can find you, connect. Are you like a, are you like an internet hobbit or are you like someone that actually gets out behind the internet? I don't know. Sometimes like, people like, they talk, but like they don't really talk. I, I, I'm trying to find the right word for it. I've been using the word social media dad, but that implies I don't like know at all what I'm doing. I, basically, so if anyone reaches out to me, I reply. But I avoid feeds like a lot because I don't, like I have no social media on my phone. Uh, I haven't logged into Instagram in weeks. I went every time I log in, there's just like a bunch of notifications like you were mentioned in a story. You were mentioned in a story, but I never see the story. Uh, it's already <laughs> gone. <laughs> yeah, because it's already gone. But you can find me at uh, my website's kiwimonk.com. It's an old uh, nickname, K-I-W-I-M-O-N-K. And then my email is up there. I was going to say, I suggest you check out the 70 days of, um, where did you go? Wait, around the world in yes, 70 days. Yes, yeah. 70 days, excuse yeah. me. Around the world in 70 yeah. days. I make, I make videos on the side sort of a YouTuber with no audience. It's just like my own home movies are sitting on the internet. And uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Kevin Huynh. Um, I got that. I also own KevinHuynhs.com where I'm slowly creating a Ooh. repository of other Kevin Huynhs that I reach out to right. and, and file them there. Uh, yeah, and then Instagram at KiwiMonk. But you probably won't answer. Uh, on ins- come on, like Instagram, it's some, unless I feel like unless you're scrolling through feeds, like... It's either Twitter or a text. Yeah. Because I feel like, I don't know. I feel like with me, like, I don't, I have the little timer. I did the iOS update. Yeah, yeah. I have a little timer on it. I oh, put like yeah. 30 minutes and I'm like, all right. Like, you didn't even do anything, but like, let's just play around and see what this thing does. I don't yeah. have Facebook on my phone though. Yeah. I did take that off. I feel like it, whatever you do though, it like pushes your attention elsewhere. Cause I find myself now checking like the New York Times app compulsively. And now I'm just reading like, Heavy news all the time. Oh, I did that with Medium the other day. Yeah. And I just started, was like, what can I, I was on the train and I was like, all right, you're not, I was like, you're not going through social media. It's like, you need to do something. You're not listening to another podcast because you listen to yeah. every episode that came out in the last month already. Yep. And now you have to find something else to read and not like waste your brain. Or yeah. you can sit there and meditate, which I have been starting mm-hmm. to do on the train. It's very interesting to see people watch you meditate on the train. Yeah. It's very interesting. You, wait, you can watch people meditate. So watch like people watch you meditate. Yeah, how do you do that? So it's yeah, it's, are your eyes it's, open? It's like super meta. Yeah, so <laughs> eyes are open. Um, I have a camera and I record people that look at. <laughs> I could, I could get a chest harness, but <laughs> one of the exercises from Simple Habit, it's like a commuting, like five. It's either five, ten, or twenty minutes, and like you can spin the wheel and select. But you, one of the things is like understanding where your body is when yeah. the train is. Well, technically it says bus, but. When the train's moving and then one of the prompts is to like, open your eyes and like keep your eyes open and like don't close them. And I'm like, okay, so like you want me to meditate with my eyes open? And then they go through and proceed to say like, take a look at everyone who's surrounding you in the car. Like see what they might be feeling, see yeah. what they might be going through and take a second to appreciate everyone around you. And then you like, look. Nice. And it's like, I don't know, like a 30, like a 30 second silence-ish. 
And then all of a sudden, like you see some people looking back at you and then you're just like, oh, right. Let me get back into what she was saying and like, let me cut everything else yeah. out and get back in. So yeah, it's very, very interesting. I recommend trying. Yeah, it like sometimes I do headspace for like 10 minutes, but then I'll like peek one eye open to make sure I didn't miss my stop mm. or like if something has happened on the train. So it's it's not perfect. Yeah, it's kind of like a technique because like I got to transfer once. So it's yeah. either like a five minute or 10 minutes. So I'll either do it right when I get on or I have to wait till I transfer and then do it from the next stop to my actual yeah. stop. So yeah, I'm, I'm learning a language now, which is taking up Ooh. some of the time. I'm learning Vietnamese. I was fluent when I was really little, like five or six, and then I forgot it. If I had one of those like limitless pills that would activate 100% my brain, I can mm. probably speak Vietnamese, but I can't. And, you know, better late than never. I mean, true. Growth mindset. <laughs> I, right? I also think like doing the language and like that's going to open your eyes up to a lot of other things I think also gets forgotten. Yeah. It's like how many different things you can learn about community and culture. Yeah. So it's like, ah, oh, I don't remember. Who was I watching? Uh, oh my God. There was this, I think it was a TED talk of some sort, but pretty much just if it was, apparently there is this nation of people that can't see the color blue. Hmm. So like everyone, some people are colorblind, some people can't see red, some people can see two pigments of green. Like this tribe that couldn't see blue could see two pigments of green. And I'm just like, but how do they look at two? Like they see the same green we see, but they'll see two because their eyes are just different. So it's like you, when you learn a new language, like you take every, you can take everything in from that culture and just like look at it from a whole new lens. Yeah. I feel like people who know multiple languages, like look at the world from so many lenses. It's like, Kind of a little insane to think about sometimes. Yeah. Like, what's one of your earliest community memories? Um, like, when I talked with, like, a lot of people, it's like, oh, childhood. Like, I was 13. Like, I was in my room. And I realized that, like, no one else liked to talk about this thing. So, like, I guess, could you share either an early community story, your most challenging community story, what one that you saw visible transformation through? Like, I guess, just bring up one of those that you think people might, you know, connect with or they just want to share. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, my mom sent me to camps and I went to like, I was at a, a an engineering camp. Like I, you know, I went to science camp. I went to the, I went to these camps and this is not something they do with my brother. And I don't, um, I don't know if it was because of, you know, resources or just thinking about me as a second born and what they wish they did. But you know, I remember going to, I think my first one was the uh, preparation for engineering program. It was like a minority engineering camp that was two weeks long at the Colorado School of Mines. You go there with like kids from all around the country and they teach you basic physics and basic math and stuff. And How old were you? Um, sixth grade, seventh grade? Sixth grade? Not sixth grade. about physics? I mean, that was eighth grade. It was middle school time. You were learning about physics? I think I was learning about physics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And... I just remember, and then later on, like my mom sent me to uh, like a Spanish immersion camp. And this is, you know, she went on the internet and found like a camp that she could send me to in Spain for two weeks and then sent me there. What <laughs> is up with, okay, I mean, no, that, so Spanish immersion camp, what happened yeah. there? Well, I mean, with both of these experiences um, or all of them, I I have my journal entries still from... Okay, another story about me. I've had the same Word doc journal for the last 20 years. So <laughs> I've been typing in journal.docx. It's password protected. Please don't hack my computer for that long. And it's just like chronological order, you know, August 11th, 1990, whatever. 
my brother played Zelda today. He didn't let me play. I hate him, you know, like, and all the way until now, I still type in this. And I, you know, sometimes on the train, I pull it up on my phone. I type in and it's hundreds of pages long. And I have my journal entries from like going to these camps and coming back and just thinking, wow, like that was so amazing. These are going to be my friends for the rest of my life. And it was also an exposure to, you know, I I grew up as uh, one of the only like non-white kids in my like high school in Colorado. And I went there and like Spanish immersion. I remember meeting like twins from Iran and this like kid from Iceland and then these guys from Italy and then like Jeff from Brooklyn who like greeted me while he was flipping his butterfly knife. Like it was like that. And then engineering camp, it was a minority engineering camp. So they brought in kids from, and Colorado isn't super diverse, but they Mm -hmm. were, you know, sponsoring kids from all over. And I feel like there was this, you know, as far as like early experiences with community, I had these early experiences, like compressed timelines where you get to know and connect with uh, people that I would have not bumped into otherwise. um, If I was just like hanging in Iowa, Colorado, 24 seven for, you know, all those years I was growing up. And I feel like that sort of instilled in me this desire to like, now when I think about how people in company, part of the reason we keep doing is I get to like pop into these different worlds and like get to feel the sense of closeness and these, you know, uh, yeah, to like keep surrounding myself with like other groups. And I feel like that's time well spent to hang out at that at ed camp, even though I've never been a teacher to be surrounded by them, but just get to know like who they are. I feel like there's, to me, that early experience affected um, whether or not I use the word community. It affected just like how I wanted to be around people and especially like people that I thought weren't in my bubble, like to continue expanding and bursting my bubble and like stretching it in different ways. I feel like that's like, did you remember Dragon Ball Z? Sure. I was just watching like some football highlights. I think these two guys like... Celebration dance fusion in you know in the, the touch like of the, uh, on the yeah, side. yeah exactly on the side <laughs> oh my god that's hilarious wow that's funny that's even more relevant than I thought um, but I was was I brought that up because when you mentioned one thing I, I, it's funny because one theme that I feel like I've come across so far with a lot of people I've talked to in the community world and also previous guests it's this like I don't want to say like nomadic. But like in a way that like your childhood just forced you to be in like so many different environments and so many different communities to where like you learned a lot very quickly about different people and how to interact with them and how to engage and how to like be a human and feel a sense of belonging. And so I feel like when like that happens early on, like there's a lot of things that you you learn very fast just because you are exposed to it repeatedly, like two weeks at a camp in another country with kids yeah like what What? like just (laughs) think about that like so like the way i look at that it's like you're putting yourself in the like hyperbolic time chamber like remember where goku went to train for like a day but like it's actually like a year (laughs) yeah it's like that's what being in a transformative (laughs) gathering or transformative world or alternative world whatever you want to call it yeah i feel like that's what actually happens and like the more that we can be conscious of it they realize that okay like there needs to be a hyperbolic t- chamber for something, for knitting, for skateboarding, mm. for potting, for tech, for all these different things. And then realizing that like, okay, like just spend as much time as you can in here with people and build as strong as a connection as you can, because once you come out, like it's going to help transform you and like take you to the next level at whatever you're doing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, thought that was a fun little Dragon Ball Z analogy that some of our listeners might be able to relate to. They, Many, they better. better. 
Yeah. Hats off to my mom. I, I don't know. I think back in like, she took the initiative to be like, yeah, you should probably go to this. And I don't know. There are stories about like Asian tiger moms and them just making you go to SAT class and other things. And my, my parents, I don't know, really did try to like, I don't know, stretch me in different ways that I really appreciate and kind of, you know, made me who I am. Yeah. Shout out to my Dukes too for the win. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things that we like. It's funny because all of our parents have so many different backgrounds. Like both my parents are from the South. Mm-hmm. I was literally both from South Carolina. Population in their towns was like less than, I think, like two grand, like less than 2,000 people. Wow. So like completely different worlds than what I'm used to as in like, aka like no running water worlds when they grew up, like outhouse world. Yeah. As in like, you want to take a shower? Okay, well, go boil the water world. Like you want to eat? Go put wood in the stove world. And so I'm like, oh my God, like, can we imagine? Like, that that's actually one one segment that I also thought about doing was talking to people and then also asking them to talk to their parents about community yeah. building when they're little. Like for example, if my dad acted up somewhere in the neighborhood when he was growing up, the parent of the house would reprimand you that he acted up at, and then he would also get reprimanded again when he got home. Now, <laughs> if you mess up in a room full of 100 people, no one probably will even say anything to you. Yeah. And they'll just like let you do it. And I'm like, back then there was like no tracking of it. It's like you got two butt whoopings because you were acting up or you did something wrong. But now it's like you can be in a room of 150,000 people. One person does something wrong. Nobody blinks an eye. Yeah. And it's it's very it's very interesting, too, to hear like some of the things like, Oh, like Miss Jones, like she grows potatoes and watermelon. So like we're gonna swap with her. We're gonna give her like some eggs and some grapes. And it's like that sort of like community and the connectivity with such a small town at that, like that's where I feel like we those are the the stories that are gonna go unheard if we don't talk to anybody about them. Yeah. Like it's like for me, like I didn't even know that story until I was like in my twenties. Like early 20s. And so now I'm like, oh my God. I literally sat at the table and was like, you're kidding. And my both my parents almost fell out of the chair laughing. And yeah. I was like, no, we're not kidding. And I was like, what? You mean you need it? They were like, yes, we did. And I was like, now imagine like what, now imagine the journey that we went on to then get to where we are now. And so like, if you take that and you like look at communities and look at people and look at you know, the challenge that we're all struggling to overcome. It's like, how do you disconnect and, you know, have the strength to disconnect from the the connected world? Yeah. But actually, like a lot of people are talking nowadays about it's the actual disconnected world. And the real connected world is this, like we're connected because we're sharing the same space. Our energy, you know, touches each other. Yeah. It combines, it grows. That's the whole point of, you know, going into communities and everybody bringing in their positive energies. And that's why I think, my community is so important and so necessary to belonging. It's because everybody bring these brings their sense of like loneliness and but they bring their identity into the room and then they share it with everybody else versus like you mentioned before being one of the only non-white kids. Right, non-white yeah. kids at your things. And I mean, same here. Like yeah. I went to a private school. I was like one percent. So like being able to sit in that room and know you're the one percent but still be strong enough to go find your other counterparts. And that's, I feel like it just happened. I don't know what it is. It just happens. Did you come across any other like non-whites that were there and you guys just like, poof? Couple friends. But not like... We didn't organize. uh, But but who would have taught you to organize? (laughs) Me, 
if I read my book from the future. <laughs> right. In seventh grade, yeah, you would have known grade. you would have known how to be a world class no. community builder. Like, and, and I think that, <laughs> I know some of that stuff is now looking back, I like try to dissect. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I thought everything was cool. And, you know, maybe this is why I'm insecure about this. Like, cause I I grew up like that. And whether or not people were people were kind to me, I had, you know, uh, uh, I had a good time. And, you know, I, I feel like I had a privileged upbringing, but I look back and I was like, oh, that's why I might feel like less safe or secure in certain situations mm-hmm. now, just because like, yeah, that was my experience. The cool thing about experience is one, they can change with age and wisdom. And yeah. two, so, to hate to say it, but like certain experiences, like actually, no, all experiences never happen again in the same time because like if we have the same podcast conversation tomorrow, it's still going to be different because everything that we're going to experience from now yeah. until tomorrow is going to be then into our world, which is going to be interwoven into us. And it's going to be a yeah. whole different moment, even though it's the same thing, it's going to be a completely different moment. Yeah. So my, my weird analogy for that is cooking. Cause I love to cook. And sometimes when I cook, I just think I am the first person in the history of the universe to make this exact dish. And it could be because I am putting together very weird ingredients. It'll be like part Japanese food because uh, my partner's uh, Japanese and there'll be some Vietnamese and some local weird CSA stuff and all of that. And be like, I don't know if anyone's ever made this banhoi with like local beets sprinkled with like furikake. I don't know right. if like, anyone's ever done that. And other times I just think like no one has the same pan and no one put the same exact amount, same exact number of crystals of salt. And that's like... Kind of wonderful that it's just it is perfectly unique and ir- you cannot re- you cannot replace it you cannot duplicate what just happened right I forget what we're talking about but now I'm excited about cooking uh, but yeah the uniqueness of experience yeah and like uh, our experiences is kind of like how every dish is slightly right. different exactly I love cooking as well I think that's a good I know my stomach's like <laughs> okay good time yeah I think. Um, so yeah, thank you everyone, um, and thank you Kevin for thank you for having me <laughs> being here with us today. Um, you know, definitely had a lot of laughs. This is you know definitely been one of you know my most fun experiences so far doing this. Um, just like seeing your excitement, you know, in your eyes when you talk about community and share your stories. It's been you know it's been a great conversation, and I hope that everyone out there also finds value in the lessons, the stories. Um, and everything that you shared. And also, I hope people actually, you know, reach out and have questions, right? Like, I hope that you guys can connect and build something great and, you know, give each other the fuel that you need to keep going in whatever journey that you're on. Um, just just together, right? Like, at the end of the day, we're one large human tribe. We're the same species. Like, if you ever thought about, um, this is very funny, kind of a tangent, but very funny, how like birds all of a sudden know to go the same direction. Yeah, like they don't, behavior. Like what? Right. Like they just all go yeah. in the same direction. Schools Hundreds. Of Schools of fish, another yes. one. It's like, well, why would we as humans not just like want to just be together and belong and feel connected? And I feel like this conversation, I got to know you a lot. And I feel like hopefully our listeners got to know you a lot as well. And they can, you know, take something back or just even have one moment that, you know, resonates with them that they can use and um, help them grow. So yeah. thank you guys for having me. Thanks for listening to the Community Builder Podcast. If you received an ounce of value from this podcast, share it with your friends. Oh yeah, don't forget to leave me a five-star review. I need those. Remember, each perfectly laid brick moves you one step closer to building your community.